Welcome to season two of the Aging Project podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together we're here to uncover and explore the secrets to healthy, fabulous, vibrant aging. We've done the research and we've found the best guests ready to help you flourish at any age. So join me as I ask the big questions, your questions, to some of the world's leading authorities in health, wellness and lifestyle. Think of them as your own support aging mentors, a group of experts that are here to make the little changes turn into a big difference for us. The Aging Project was created to help you age well, to help us all age well together. So welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Eat your carrots, my mum used to say. They're good for your eyes. Well, I did eat my carrots, but the changes in my eyesight is one of the biggest changes I've noticed on my ageing journey. Hello, dry eye, glasses and floaters. In today's fascinating conversation with functional neuro-ophthalmologist, Dr Rani Bannock, we're asking how and what we can do to look after our precious eyes. Like all of our guests... Dr. Rani has a preventative and root cause approach, which means we can take action now to protect our eyes in the future. Enjoy today's conversation and we'll chat again on the other side. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Rani Bannock from New York, coming to us as live. It's wonderful to see you here on our screens, Rani. Um, Look, I'm looking straight into your eyes, and as we always say, eyes are the windows to our soul. But as a neuro-ophthalmologist, you're also going to explain to us how they're the windows to our health as well. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I'm just so excited to share this information. This is my true passion is vision health and brain health. So I'm just so, you know, honored to be able to share this with you and your audience. So yeah, so many people say the eyes are a window to our soul and they actually are a window to our health. And the reason is because the eye is just People don't realize this. The eye is actually not just an organ in isolation. It is intimately connected with the brain and intimately connected with all the other organs in the body. So the eye is actually a direct extension of the brain and it's considered part of the central nervous system. But also our general health can impact our eye health so much. And there are so many conditions that we can diagnose based on an eye exam. So really it's fascinating all those interconnections there. So a neuro-ophthalmologist is something I actually hadn't heard of before. This is obviously next level to your optometrist or your ophthalmologist. Can you explain what a neuro-ophthalmologist is? Absolutely. So um, as a neuro-ophthalmologist, I take care of all the connections between the eyes and the brain. So as I mentioned earlier, the eye is a direct extension of the brain, but there are other nerves as well that help us not only to see, but help us to move our eyes, to help us uh, open our eyelids, um, Uh, other nerves that carry sensory input from the face and the eye socket to the brain. So as a neuro-ophthalmologist, I help manage a lot of those types of conditions that may affect those nerves. Uh, So for example, uh, people who have uh, brain issues like brain tumors, for example, or strokes to the brain may sometimes have vision issues. So that falls under the purview of a neuro-ophthalmologist. Also, um, there are some Uh, inflammatory autoimmune conditions that affect the brain that can also have visual symptoms. For example, the most common is multiple sclerosis or MS. Um, Many people who have MS uh, first start off with vision problems. They may not be able to see properly or they may have double vision and then ultimately they may get diagnosed with MS. So again, in in those types of situations, the eye is really a window to our brain health and it helps to diagnose, an eye exam can really help to diagnose many 
different types of issues. I'm sure we've all seen at uh, the local naturopath or even in the shopping centres those amazing eye photographs that you can have taken and then your naturopath can sort of diagnose things that are going on, but you're digging so much deeper. Yes, I think may, perhaps what you're referring to is iridology. Maybe that's, yep, that's what that's you're referring it. to. <laughs> It's a fascinating field where they take a photograph of the iris, which is the colored part of the eye, the front, um, what we see in the front of the eye. Uh, for example, if you have blue eyes, green eyes, hazel eyes. So uh, those pictures are taken of the iris and then in, in, an interpretation is done based on the features of the iris, the coloration of the iris, the, the, there are kind of crypts and kind of uh, hills and valleys within the iris. And then there are medical kind of um, correlates made to those anatomic features on the iris. So that is a little bit different than what I do. I do medical and surgical ophthalmology. But on top of that, I layer in a lot of what in the US we call integrative and functional medicine, which means that we really incorporate nutrition and lifestyle choices, sometimes botanicals into treatments and more natural types of therapies into treatment. So that's that's really what I specialize in. Obviously, you've got this incredible amount of medical knowledge behind you. What made you sort of decide to incorporate that into more functional medicine? Yeah, I, I love this question. I get this a lot, actually. You know, why did I decide to pursue this other uh, line of training, which took me over three years to get trained in functional medicine? It's really because I had my own health issues And I could not find the answer in traditional Western medicine for my own health issues. And uh, so I'll just share, I have chronic migraine and I'd been suffering with chronic migraine for years, like daily headaches, daily severe headaches for over three years. And I went to many of the top headache specialists in New York City, which is where I live. And they just kept giving me prescription after prescription after prescription, uh, various different medications that had just come on the market. And I tried them all and nothing was helping. And I said, you know, there must be a better way. There must be a better way to help me solve my migraine issue rather than just to take medications, which are really just like a Band-Aid, putting a Band-Aid on the problem, not really getting to the root cause of the problem. So I started to do my own research and I realized that there was a wealth of information out there on botanicals, on natural ways, like natural supplements, for example, essential oils, um, foods. And none of my headache specialists had ever mentioned any of this to me. So it was really shocking that, you know, I'd been to all these doctors and no one ever pursued any of these. So, so for example, I'll give, you a, I'll give you one of the most important examples that I, I realized. I was on a horrible diet. I was living off of junk food most of my adult life. So I was daily, I was having pizza, ice cream, caffeinated sodas. I mean, I was having probably eight to 12 caffeinated diet drinks a day, which is Dr. Rani, how dare you? Exactly. <laughs> this is a confession exactly. session. <laughs> it is confession. And no one ever asked me, not one of my doctors asked me, you know, how much caffeine do you have? Or or how much sleep do you get? And I was sleeping like three, four hours a night. And it's no wonder I was having these horrible chronic headaches. So once I started to address all those things, my diet, my lifestyle choices, I started to take some supplements. I started to use essential oils. That's when I finally started to get better after trying all of those medications. So that really turned me on to functional medicine. And I, you know, I just, I started to take some courses and I fell in love with it. And I decided, you know what? Someone has to bring this into mainstream ophthalmology because no one is doing this in, in eye health. And I really decided, okay, I need, I need to be the one to try to, you know, bring in all this important information. So I decided to pursue certification in functional medicine. So that's how I ended up where I am. 
So how hard was it then to integrate functional medicine into neuro-ophthalmology? It seems like they're, they're, you know, polar worlds apart. They are, you know, so traditional neuro-ophthalmology is rooted in anatomy and science, clinical trials, and I have experience with all of that. I run clinical trials, but to introduce some of these concepts, you know, it's been challenging. Um, I'm not sure that uh, most of my colleagues in neuro-ophthalmology are quite on board yet, but I definitely know that patients are seeking out solutions because, you know, I see many patients who've been to see other eye doctors, even neuro-ophthalmologists. Some of them have even been to see two or three neuro-ophthalmologists before, and they haven't quite gotten the results that they're looking for. And then ultimately they seek out a different solution and they end up finding me. So I think that there is a need. I think that um, there's an awareness that's rising amongst the public that there really should be better incorporation or integration of various types of treatments. Yes, of course, when necessary, you should in include medications and or surgery if it's appropriate. But then again, there are so many things people can do from a lifestyle perspective, from a nutrition perspective, because that can have such a positive impact on eye health and brain health. And so I hope that this will, you know, uh, just my spreading the word out there, I have some books coming out about this as well, um, just to really raise awareness that it's okay. You, you can merge the two. It's not that it has to be exclusively one or the other. You can definitely integrate these two approaches. I'm sure when you're saying that the eyes are, are so strongly connected to the brain and then obviously filtering all the way through our bodies, these sorts of issues or um, the beginnings of problems could have been from the pediatric stage, couldn't they? It could have been things that you had going on um, within your brain and your body and your connection right from day one or even, or even you know, um, in the womb. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there are many conditions actually that start off either in the womb or in early childhood that can persist and progress into adulthood. Like, for example, there are certain infections um, that perhaps one's mother had that may impact vision uh, in, in the baby. Um, then there are other conditions where uh, in children, particularly, um, if they have certain types of um, what we call refractive errors, meaning, uh, you know, for example, nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism, if that's not corrected early, then that will persist into adulthood. So some of these things really need to be caught early on in childhood. Um, but then there are many other things that, you know, maybe perhaps that, you know, there are some habits that develop early on and our bodies are able to manage that or eyes are able to manage that. But as we get older, we may no longer have the resilience to manage them. And so it's kind of like a cumulative effect. You know, it's not that it happens all at once, but um, over time, things kind of gradually build up and then can cause problems down the road. And I really do strongly believe like things, for example, like autoimmune diseases, um, they probably start much earlier than when people are actually diagnosed. And so if you make healthy choices early, you can hopefully ward off some of those adverse effects that happen, you know, years or decades later in life. It seems to be one of the joys of turning 40 that it's your eyesight is the first thing to go. Um, here at the Aging Project, we're all about looking after ourselves as, <laughs> as we age. I know you're all, you know, <laughs> further away and yes that happens that it's might be the first time true. that some I've, I've been through that yes I know yeah, that <laughs> might be the first time that somebody actually um takes that step to go and see an optometrist or again perhaps then referred to an ophthalmologist is that the first sign of aging if you're not experiencing uh migraines and, and other health issues that we could obviously see that our eyes are changing or deteriorating for want of a better word 
Yeah, absolutely. It is such a common first symptom that people have. I mean, many people will come to see me in their 40s, you know, mid 40s, late 40s, and say, I used to have perfect eyesight my entire life. And now all of a sudden, my eyes have gone downhill and I can't read anymore. I can't look at my phone. I can't use the computer. So that is perhaps, as you mentioned, like one of the earliest signs of changes that happen as we age. And so that's an expected change. You know, some people, they start experiencing some of those symptoms even earlier in their late 30s, for example. Some people, they don't experience them until their 50s or even 60s. But most people will probably go through a phase like that where they notice a change. Maybe their eyes were never a problem before. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes a major issue and uh, they're not able to function. So definitely, if, if you're in that category, get it checked out. Uh, just to make sure it's not something more serious and get some good recommendations from your ophthalmologist or optometrist about what to do. Um, there's quite a few choices now, which is wonderful. There didn't used to be that many choices, but now there are a couple of different choices to help treat that, which is the medical term for that is presbyopia, where one's eyesight up close is just not as good as it used to be. Um, but again, get it diagnosed and get it checked out. Because it's fine just to put on some glasses, but you'd love to know if there's something um, more that you can do, as you say, changing your diet, changing your lifestyle. Are there two common issues that you see in women over 40? Yes. So the most common issue by far, aside from the reading glasses issue that we just mentioned, is dry eye. And this is almost, I would say, if a, a woman over the age of 40 does not have dry eye, that's the anomaly, I would say. Most women do suffer from dry eye. And, you know, there are definitely hormonal changes that may trigger dry eye. For example, perimenopause, menopause, with uh, dropping estrogen levels, progesterone levels, even testosterone levels, when they drop, uh, they can trigger dry eye. So it is, it is, I would say, in that age group, in that demographic depth, like almost like an epidemic of dry eye. Uh, but there are, again, so many different ways to treat it. There are so many ways to prevent it even. So one thing that people don't realize when it comes to nutrition is um, omega-3 fatty acids that we can get, for, for example, from seafood, from salmon, from uh, trout, from mackerel, sardines, anchovies, or even we can get them from plant-derived um, foods. Like, for example, we can get omega-3s from seeds, hemp seeds, chia seeds, um, flax seeds. These are great sources of omega-3s. Omega-3s have been shown to help with dry eye. So it's really amazing that, you know, there we have this food or this, you know, nutrient in foods that we can use to help combat our eye issues. So many people don't realize that, that food is best. And then if you're not getting enough through food, of course, you can consider supplementation. But um, the studies on supplementation are a little bit uh, more controversial, but there is no question that dietary intake of omega-3s is important to fight dry eye. Uh, there's just so many things people can do. What about carrots? We're always taught as kids that carrots were the best things for our eyes. Is that is that just a wives' tale? No, actually, you know, it's it's not a myth. But what I'll tell you is that there's more to it than just carrots. Carrots are the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the nutrients that we need for eye health. So carrots contain beta carotene, which is a form of vitamin A. And yes, we need vitamin A for good vision. We need vitamin A to help prevent against night blindness, to help with dry eye as well. But in my research, I found that, especially studying functional medicine, going through this process and, and educating myself, I've learned that we need over 25 nutrients to keep our eyes healthy, which for most people is just 
mind boggling, like 25 nutrients. I can't even get in my carrots, but <laughs> tell me that's a Niswa salad. It's got, it's got your, your fish intake. <laughs> it's got your eggs in there. You can throw some carrots in. Tell me they can all be done in one meal. I wish, I wish it were that simple, but it's, it's actually practically speaking, it's not that difficult to do to get those, that whole range of 25 nutrients. If you have a plant rich diet, Now, I'm not saying plant-based. I'm not saying you have to go vegan or be vegetarian. You have to have a plant-rich diet, which means that you're having lots of different colored fruits and vegetables in your diet. And if you do that during the course of the week, like for example, a quick tip I tell my patients is, you know, most people eat three meals a day, seven days a week. So that's 21 meals a week. If you have a different color with each meal, you know, different shades of green and blue and purple and red and orange and yellow you will get those 25 nutrients. You'll get most of them at least. And then add in some animal products. Add in, as you said, add in the eggs. Eggs are wonderful for our eyes. You know, that beautiful color of the yolk, that orange yellow color is Mm -hmm. actually uh, a nutrient that our eyes need called lutein and zeaxanthin. Well, two nutrients, lutein and zeaxanthin. And these are yellow pigments that are found in the egg yolk. So it's a great way to support your eye health. Also salmon because of its omegas, wonderful ways to support your eyes. So have a diverse diet, main, you know, with lots of plants, and you'll get you'll get what you need. Uh, so it's not just carrots. Really, that's, that's <laughs> the important thing to remember. There's obviously a lot of lifestyle factors that we're hearing about that have huge impacts on our eye health. Um, sugar being one of them, of course. Blue light has come of light in the last, you know, ten years or so. Do those two things, obviously, from from your perspective, impact? Yes. So sugar is a big one. Um, We all know that, you know, having too much sugar intake, particularly simple sugars, can lead to high blood sugar that can potentially lead to diabetes. And diabetes can cause um, a condition in the back of the eye called diabetic retinopathy, and people can lose vision from that. So um, in the earliest stages, it's reversible, but after it gets to a certain point, it becomes irreversible damage. So you just need to, you know, start early, watch your sugar intake, try to limit it. And instead, instead of adding sugars, have more natural sugars in your diet. Um, I always tell people try to opt for fruits with natural sugars rather than other types of of sugars, processed foods, etc. Now, in terms of blue light, this is a a really interesting topic. Um, So what is blue light, first of all? Well, if you think about the rainbow of colors, blue is on one end of the spectrum, and it's short wavelength light that we can see. It's visible light. And normally we get blue light from the sun. That's how we're supposed to naturally uh, moderate our sleep-wake cycle. When the sun comes up, it starts to emit blue light. It tells our bodies it's time to wake up. And then towards the end of the day, when the amount of blue light coming from the sun decreases, it's a signal to our bodies that, okay, it's time to wind down, get ready for bed. Our bodies secrete melatonin, which is a sleep hormone. So there's that natural cycle of blue light coming from the sun. When we get blue light from artificial sources, for example, our computer screens, all emit blue light. Our, all of our devices, whether it's a, a, a smartphone, it's a tablet, it's a television, um, all of these devices emit blue light. And even the bulbs that many of us are now using because they're energy saving bulbs, for example, LED bulbs emit blue light. CFL bulbs, like compact fluorescent bulbs, emit blue light much more than incandescent bulbs do. So we're getting all this artificial blue light coming from these sources. And it interferes with our sleep-wake pattern. It can cause eye strain. Now, fortunately, it doesn't cause permanent eye damage, which I think a lot of people are concerned about. Like, is this blue light going to blind me? The answer is no, it's not going to cause you to go blind, but it can definitely lead to other adverse health effects. So it's important to modulate your blue light. 
And you know, those two pigments I was just mentioning that come from egg yolk, lutein and zeaxanthin, they're actually our eyes' natural blue blockers and our eyes' natural sunglasses. So if you eat foods with those pigments, they get absorbed by the body, they get deposited into the back of the eye, and they help to neutralize those potentially harmful rays of UV light and blue light. So have lots of those pigments and you'll be naturally protecting your eyes against that blue light. So it's really fascinating. It's really, I love it. It's just so, so interesting. My uh, goodness, you are an extraordinary educator, Dr. Rani. This is just the most interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Um, what, what are actions that we can take to look after our eyes? Obviously, we're, we're working on our diet and we've um, spoken to some experts on, on plant-based diets, which has been extraordinary. Sunglasses, is that something that we should be integrating into our kids rather than just hats every day that they're in the playground? Should we be enforcing sunglasses in the playgrounds as well? So I, I know that this is a very controversial topic because some people think that, well, they believe that if you look at the sun, you're getting, you know, lots of positive energy, you're getting um, stimulation of certain hormones, neurotransmitters, et cetera. So yes, sunlight is important, but then again, protecting your eyes against powerful sun, sun, you know, rays are also, is also important. So um, I'll give you both sides of the, of the story here. So um, when it comes to children, uh, studies have shown, these are studies coming out of mainly Asia, where there are very, very high rates of myopia, which is nearsightedness. Um, studies have shown that when children spend at least two hours a day outside playing in the sun, that they will have decreased rates of myopia, which is amazing, right? That That's like, uh, you know, it's, it's an epiphany that, you know, we need to send our children outside and be outside and be kids and allow them to play in the sun. But then again, on the flip side, as I mentioned, too much sun exposure can lead to eye issues, mainly in adulthood, but um, it's been uh, too much sun exposure has been associated with damage to the cornea on the surface of the eye, uh, cataract, retinal issues, um, even cancers of the eye and eyelid. So I would say, you know, everything in moderation, absolutely have your kids outside playing in the sun, but if they're in really bright, direct sunlight, then maybe have them wear some sunglasses for at least part of that time mm -hmm. and definitely don't stare directly at the sun. Um, and perhaps, as you said, use wear a hat. That's maybe another uh, uh, kind of a compromise there because then you're getting the benefits of the sun, but hopefully not directly mm -hmm. on your eyes. I think we're still, you know, we're still learning about the impacts of, of um, the sun's, uh, you know, beautiful rays on our, on our health, but definitely that for our eyes, it has both pros and cons to it. So Dr. Rani, there's these blue light glasses available. Do they actually work? That's one of the most common questions I get is, should I be buying blue blockers? Uh, what I will tell you is that blue blockers are not all the same. You know, if you look at them, some of them look clear. Some of them have a very light yellow tint. Some of them are deeper tinted, you know, for example, red or orange or amber. So if you do choose to buy a blue blocker, because perhaps, you know, your eyes are really tired, you're experiencing eye strain, then absolutely, by all means, get buy blue blockers. Or if you're having trouble sleeping at night, absolutely buy blue blockers, but they're not 100% necessary. If you do choose to buy blue blockers, um, what I would suggest is get a deeper tint. And the reason is because if you put on blue blockers, and if you're looking at your screen, if the blue blockers really work, you should not be able to see the blue on your screen. And if you put on those clear blue blockers, you're probably seeing that still blue, the spectrum of blue on your screen versus the deeper tints filter out more of those blue rays. And so if you're really looking for that benefit, invest in a pair that has a deeper tint. That would be my suggestion. But again, it's not, it's an individual decision about whether you want to purchase them or not. They are not necessarily necessary. And 
even if you don't wear them, it does, it's not going to have a, a long-term adverse effect on your eyes. So be reassured of that. We've talked a lot about actual the eye health, but neuro, uh, yours is all about what we can learn from our eyes about what's going on inside our bodies, the the telltale signs that we might not recognise, and they might just be us thinking that we've got some squiggly lines in front of our sight, but that could be something not just about our eyes, but something that's going on deeper inside our body, inside our brains. I think perhaps what you're describing, the squiggly lines or floaters, is that, is that correct? Oh, I've got Shelley, lots of floaters. floaters, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So floaters are very common and floaters are actually not a brain issue. They're an eye issue. Um, there's a jelly in the back of the eye uh, called the vitreous jelly and floaters are little pieces of collagen floating on, floating around within that jelly. So not necessarily a brain issue, but Things to be concerned about, you know, if, you were, if you've had a change in your vision, loss of vision or loss of maybe your peripheral vision, that could be a brain problem. Or, um, for example, if you're seeing um, uh, just unusual like uh, flashing lights, for example, um, not just like a brief second of a flashing light, but if you're seeing flashing lights that go on for minutes or even half an hour, that could be more of a brain issue. It could be migraine. It could be something more serious. But if, if there's ever any doubt, definitely get it checked out because there's so many different possibilities in terms of what some of these symptoms may represent. It's very hard to try to tease it out. You know, you can definitely go on Google and search it, search it up, but there's a lot on Google that is true, but then there's a lot that may not be true. So uh, go see a professional and just you know make sure that everything is all good and there's nothing more serious that's that's lurking in the shadows. Rani, can you share with us uh, perhaps the story of one of your patients, one that sort of stuck with you um, and describe what they came in to you for and what the prognosis was and, and where you went from there? A super quick pause in our conversation to ask whether you've heard the news. The Aging Project has a sister platform called You Must Try It. It's come about because like you, we want to age well, but that means knowing which products or brands to use. And let's face it, with so many on the market, it's becoming harder to choose. So with the guidance of our in-house wellness team, we are doing the research for you. You'll find only tried and tested and loved products on youmusttryit.com. So if you're looking for something new and wanting to do something for you, then make sure you sign up. We'd love you to join us. Okay, let's get back to our chat. Absolutely. So I will share a story of a patient of mine who's actually a celebrity. And I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm able to share his story because he's written about it. He just published a book about it. So Frank Bruni, who is a New York Times, um, who was a New York Times reporter, uh, who's now a professor at Duke University, um, came in to see me, this was back in 2017, with um, sudden vision loss in one eye. And uh, at that time, he was in his early 50s, really healthy, no other medical problems. And so he lost vision in one eye, it was like a smudge in the center of his eye. And he'd already been to see a few other eye doctors before me. And ultimately, he was diagnosed with a type of stroke, uh, to the optic nerve. So not a stroke in the brain, but a stroke to the optic nerve. And his nerve, when I initially saw him, his nerve was quite swollen. He'd had some peripheral patchy vision loss. And, um, and you know, we uh, at that time, I was doing a research study on this type of eye stroke. So uh, he was enrolled in that research study. But, you know, I think the reason I'm sharing this story is because he was very healthy. He really 
previously really had no major medical issues. So, you know, this just kind of raises awareness of how certain vision problems can affect even young, healthy individuals. And so even if you say, oh, I've never had an eye problem in my life, you know, this will just go away. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm, you know, it'll be fine next week. Don't wait. Go get it checked out because it could be something more serious and just get the diagnosis, get, get the proper diagnosis and start treatment if there is some treatment available. But again, I just, um, you know, it's kind of like as as we're talking about aging, um, you know, it's, it's one of the realities as we get older, our vision may change. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are part of the natural aging process, but some things are not. So, um, so just be, be aware of that. And, and the, the good side to this story is, so Frank actually, he just published a book uh, about his experience, you know, with his vision loss and his eye stroke, et cetera. You know, the, the good news is, you know, when something does happen, you initially, it's, it's quite shocking that, you know, something happened. But once you kind of get over the initial shock of it and you adapt to it, our bodies are very resilient. They, our body learns how to manage, even if there's one issue that's still persisting and we find other ways to do things and we find the good, you know, we find the positives like, okay, this may have happened to me, but there's all of these other positive things that I can be grateful for. So I think it's really important to keep that in mind, you know, as, especially as we age that yes, certain things may happen. We may develop a certain medical condition or, you know, something's not quite going right, or we may have some body aches and pains, but always try to think about the positives about what you do have and what you're still able to do and focus on those because it's just so important to always, you know, keep things in perspective and keep a positive outlook on our health. That is a beautiful message for all of us. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Dr. Rani, obviously neuro-ophthalmology was new to me until we found you. Are there practices here in Australia? Do you have colleagues here that we could reach out to? Yes, absolutely. So it is true that neuro-ophthalmologists are few and far between, and it's unfortunate. Uh, But yes, there are uh, very qualified colleagues of mine who are in Australia. The best way to find them is to go to a website called nanosweb.org. So N-A-N-O-S web.org. And there you can just look up, find a doctor, and you'll be able to search based on your your location, your country. And I'm absolutely sure that there are several, I I don't know exactly how many, but there are several neuro-ophthalmologists scattered throughout Australia. And I'm sure your Insta followers are going up by the second with our listeners. People can reach out to you obviously on Instagram and through your website, and you're also running some online courses. Yes. So uh, thank you for for mentioning that. So one of my big passions as a functional medicine and integrative doctor is macular degeneration. So it doesn't necessarily have to do with neuro-ophthalmology, but it has to do with retinal health. And it's a common condition that many people may develop as they get older. Um, And it can be debilitating. So I'm offering an online course on macular degeneration because that way I can reach not just the people who are local to me, but I can reach many people around not just the US, but around the world. So if you're ever interested in macular degeneration about learning more about it, you can consider taking my online course called the Macular Degeneration Protocol. And in that course, I share lots of tips about nutrition. I actually have a whole diet that I put together called the Macular Degeneration Diet. Um, I have a recipe book. I have lots of resources. I talk about many of the things that we touched upon today as well, about lifestyle, blue light, UV light modulation, even red light as therapeutic light. Um, And I talk about the supplements, you know, what supplement should one take if you're at risk for macular degeneration? So um, I'm not sure exactly how many people in Australia have macular degeneration, but I know in the U.S. it's in the millions. There are 
probably 11 million people in the U.S. who have this condition. So there's so much people can do to prevent vision loss from macular degeneration. So uh, please take a look at my, my course if you're interested in that topic. Thank you, Shelley. Since chatting to Dr. Rani, I've realised my eyes, like most aspects of my health, are something that we cannot take for granted. They allow me to experience life in colour and I love nothing more than watching my girls. Taking the beautiful sunsets, you know, allow me to drive a car, watch a good movie. When you think about it, our eyes and vision are pretty bloody amazing, but rarely do we give them any thought. So hopefully today's conversation has reminded us just how important our eyes are and more importantly that it's up to us to take care of them. So book that appointment with a specialist if you have concerns. Uh, Up your plant intake like Dr Rani mentioned, get outside, give your eyes a break from the screens. We hope you enjoyed meeting Dr Rani. If you found it useful, we'd of course be grateful if you'd share this episode with your favourite friends and family. As podcast newbies, our reviews on iTunes also help get our message to a wider audience. So if you wouldn't mind posting one of those for us, that would be awesome. Thanks so much for listening and joining me on this Ageing Well journey. I'm Shelley Craft and I'll catch up with you next week. The Ageing Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.